Hi, I'm Caitlin. Hi, I'm Rebecca. We're not from Memphis, but we love it. Welcome to Memphis Type History, the podcast. Good evening, Caitlin. Hey, yo. Hey. <laughs> <laughs> what episode are we, we are. talking about today? Because I don't, I don't know what we're doing. Well, we're both talking, so I hope you figure it out <laughs> quick. Because this is an episode we are both sharing. <laughs> Mansions <laughs> oh, of good. Memphis. Good. Yeah. <laughs> yes, I have that information. <laughs> <laughs> well, but I don't know who's going first. Or do you, we want to do like one and then the other and then one and then the other? Oh, were we supposed to I guess research two? We were, weren't we? Well, we were, but it's okay if you didn't. So how about you go first? <laughs> <laughs> I just got stuck on one. And then you go and then I go? Yes, I'm sorry. No, it's fine. I just, I hope it's a good one. I do too. So we'll still, we might need a mansions part two, it sounds like. All right. So you're going to go first and talk about a mansion. Then I'll tell you about my yes. luxurious mansion, one mansion that I researched. Oh, okay. And then I'll tell you about my second mansion that I researched. Yes, thank you. <laughs> Let me set the stage. Robert Brinkley Snowden grew up in Ansdell with his parents, Robert Bogardus Snowden and Annie Overton Brinkley Snowden, who lived in the Ansdell mansion because Annie's dad bought it for them. So he had gone to Princeton to study architecture he returned to Memphis and in 1896 built everyone's favorite 11,000 square foot <gasps> local castle at 1937 Central Avenue. Oh, this is cool. I know which one you're talking about. It's Ashler Hall. Uh-huh. Uh-huh. He built that one? Yes, he did. Wasn't that good stage setting? It was. Thank you. <laughs> I'm so glad you started this. So we've mentioned the blog Cream de Memf before, and I'm going to quote this blog again now. Uh, he dug up a great quote from Memphis, an architectural guide about Snowden's Gothic Revival mansion, and it goes as such. One wonders what books about medieval castles Snowden brought back with him from Princeton, or perhaps the whole may have been influenced by a too early reading of Ivanhoe. I don't think that's a positive critique <laughs> in Architectural Digest, but I'm not positive. Yeah. Okay, so this three-story, eight-bedroom mansion only cost $24,900 to build. Oh, wow. Wow. That's crazy. Yeah. Here is what it is in today's money, which is still going to be crazy. $683,767.48. For a mansion? Yeah. Like that? Yeah. Why? How did they get so, – how were they so thrifty? So I just, know. They could just get a bunch of good deals. I don't know. But this is crazy. I guess it's like the low price, the low like home prices we have in the South. I guess yeah. Ashler Hall counts too. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Wait, but it still was considered a mansion back then, right? I mean, it's eight oh, rooms. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. It's also a castle. And a castle. And I'm about to tell you, there's more than like eight. It's so eight bedrooms and also six bar areas, five bathrooms. And wow. a swimming pool inside. Yeah, you can't find five bathrooms easily in Midtown. No. This is one of a kind in mm -hmm. so many ways. All right, so he lived there with his wife and kids, and the name Ashler Hall is from the material that it's made out of, Ashler Stone, which he brought in on barges. And he also put in Italian stained glass windows. Wow. So he wasn't thrifty. Yeah. So I saw a rumor that says that there are also secret passages under the mansion. Whoa. One goes under Lamar to Snowden Mansion in Ansdale, and it comes out into a hollow tree trunk. What? This is like Hogwarts? 
Yes. Another one goes under Central to the University Club's pool area. No way. Yeah. I just, I want to know if someone's like gone to find out if that's true. Mm-hmm. If, if anyone has explored these passages. Uh, one last interesting fact about Robert Brinkley Snowden is that he took over the new Peabody in 1925 when it relocated. The original one had been started by his great-grandfather, Colonel Robert C. Brinkley, back in 1869. Hmm. After Robert died in 1942, the place fell into disrepair and became Mograsani's restaurant called Conestoga Steakhouse. <laughs> Maybe <laughs> something like that. Uh, at some point in the 60s, it became this restaurant. In 1970, it became Ashler Hall Restaurant, which operated there for a while. And I saw this comment on Creme de Memph again from someone identified as the B-Man. And he said, I remember going there several times in 1975. There was just a bar in the basement. You had to bring your own bottle and the bartender would serve the setup. They had live music playing songs like Blueberry Hill. So there we have it. In 1983, it was added to the National Register of Historic Places. (laughs) That's cool. Wait, man. I'm still stuck on the fact that Ashler Hall had its own restaurant. Well, <laughs> here's the next thing that happened to it. Mm-hmm. In the 90s, uh, when Prince Mongo turned it into a nightclub called The <laughs> Castle, <laughs> yeah, it operated as that for a few years, yes. and then it got abandoned again. Oh, how did The Castle? So Prince Mongo had his, had his time at Ashler Hall. The Castle? <laughs> How yeah. did that? How did Called that? The castle, and that was that's way too good. So, Prince Mongo, aka Robert Hodges, is a roughly three hundred and thirty-three year old shoeless man from the planet of Zambodia who has owned several businesses in Memphis, lost mayoral elections, appeared on American Pickers, can be spotted in my friend Lisa Mack's music video for her song "Getaway," oh. owns an invisible dog. Provides protection for the city of Memphis against natural disasters and gives blessings to its citizens and is a millionaire. Yeah. Those are just the highlights. I don't want to spoil it, but that's Prince Mongo. It's amazing. (laughs) He even has a cameo in our book, Memphis Type History, Signs and Stories from Around the Corner. Uh Uh-huh. Good plug in there. (laughs) All right. So a lot of crazy stories about the club included problems with it being rumored to sell alcohol to minors, causing noise issues in the neighborhood. And at one point, these complaints uh, led Prince Mongo to the idea to move the party outside because the city changed the occupancy limits inside the house. Oh, wow. And uh, here's a quote I found from Prince Mongo himself about his time owning the castle. He said, It's full of ghosts, but they're good ghosts. (laughs) They used to visit me all the time. They would summon me upstairs to the attic, and I would hear them tapping on the pipes, and I'd tap back. (laughs) Emphasis, my own. Yeah, so apparently he believes that there are ghosts of the slaves who put ice in the pipes that cooled the house back in the 1900s uh, still living there. So. Very possible. The castle's haunted. Yeah. Um, Sometime around 2013, ownership started switching around for good old Ashler Hall. Uh, Issues continued keeping the property in disrepair. And right now I think it's still in kind of a limbo. I don't really know what's going to happen with it yet. Uh, but yeah, if you're curious, I'll put a lot of links. There's a lot of cool drone footage, cool photographs of the place. Um, there's yeah. some videos. It is a cool little castle. It's, yeah, it's an amazing place. I said little castle just because castles generally are very enormous. And it's small for a castle, but it is, it's definitely large. 
I don't know. It's, yeah. it's really cool. It's interesting. It, I mean, it looks like, for those of you who have not made it to the show notes yet, have not seen this place in Memphis, it looks like a medieval castle. It's mm-hmm. just miniature. But when I say miniature, I mean miniature for a castle. Mm-hmm. It is massive for a mansion. So it's a weird yeah. in-between kind of thing Yeah, that looks like a castle, uh, like straight up. That's what's the most interesting thing about it visually is that it, it's a little small-scale castle. <laughs> yeah. I, I would have liked to have gone to the restaurant. I think I would skip the club, but I would yeah. like to have gone to that restaurant. Yeah. I would, I would, that would be fun to dine there. Yeah, I think so. I probably would have done the full package. Tapping tapping pipes and all. All huh? of it. If I could have been, yeah. <laughs> Everything. It just sounds amazing. Well, thanks for all that. All right. Well, that's, that is, I, I picked that one to talk about because I think it's like, it's the intro into all mansions of Memphis. Because yeah. it is the most bizarre and the most Memphis of all the Memphis mansions, that's a good in point. my opinion. Yeah. So now you got to top it. I know, which is hard. But at least you get to overtop my next one, so I'm not too worried. Yeah, I'm, I'm going to win this <laughs> You're episode win this pretty one. much. Yeah. I, I, it's always a competition. I don't always come out on top, but this one I'm definitely a shooter. Yeah, I'm going for, to <laughs> foresee this one. You're going to top it. I chose to talk about kind of a hidden one. I didn't know really – like I've heard it exist, and I'll be honest, I haven't even seen it, so I do need to get out there. For some reason, I had in my head that it was just kind of a almost vacant mansion – in the middle of like a woodsy area, and it's the Anastel Mansion. And I say that because I okay. I know in our ghost story, I spoke with Ashley Carroll, who lives across the street from the mansion, and I, it's not like I could walk in her yard and see it because it's just it's set. It's like back in the trees, I think. Yeah, like it's up high on a hill. Yeah. There's trees. I can't even see it, and I just assume maybe somebody lives there and didn't really take care of it. But that's completely wrong. <laughs> As I just found out when I researched it. Oh, <laughs> yeah. do tell. Yeah, it's completely accessible, and you'll find out why. <laughs> <laughs> um, okay, this place was built in 1850 on Lamar Avenue. And back then, the street was called Pigeon Roost Road. That's how far back this was why? built. You know, I don't know why the name... <laughs> was Pigeon Roost Road. I'm thinking pigeons roosted there. <laughs> Must have. <laughs> Must have. Uh, and then it changed to Lamar. Maybe we should do a street's history on this one. The home was originally built by Dr. Samuel Mansfield. I don't know why I made that sound suspenseful. He's just such a wholesale druggist <laughs> from Maryland. That's it. Oh, okay. It's cool. I guess druggist is like a pharmacist. Nice try to top me. <laughs> <laughs> it's built on 200 acres at the time, it was on the outskirts of Memphis. Wow. Yeah, that's a lot. Of, that's a lot of land. And yeah. 19 years later, enter Colonel Robert Brinkley, who you gave us a little intro of. I think you mean re-enter. Yeah, re-enter. Colonel Robert Brinkley, <laughs> Colonel Robert Brinkley <laughs> who built the Peabody Hotel, as you've mentioned. And we also have an episode on that if you want to learn about the Peabody. We do. We shall link to it in the show notes, which is memphistypehistory.com slash mansions. Thank you. Yes. Find it there. So he's the guy. He bought the estate as a wedding gift to his daughter, Annie. And at that time, it was named Annisdale. Can you guess why? Or did you already mention that? Oh, so, no, I didn't. So Annisdale. Yes. And then it, because it was her. Okay. And then it somehow morphed into Annisdale. Yeah, Annisdale. But it it was named... For Annie's Dale. I had to look at Dale. I was like, what's oh. a Dale? 
and it's basically like a, a hollow or a, a valley. I guess lush because it's lush green. Around 200 acres or so. Yeah, exactly. A massive land of lusciousness. <laughs> <laughs> I don't think it's between. I don't think it's actually a valley, but it, I think it is up on a hill. I'm going to go out there and find this place, by the way, because now I just need to know. So since 1869, Annis Dell has been home to the family for at least seven generations. She Annie had married Colonel Robert Bogardus. I like that name, Bogardus. Colonel <laughs> Robert Bogardus Snowden. And that's the Snowdens have been there for seven generations. For 160 years, members of this socially prominent Snowden family has lived here. Oh, fancy. Yeah. I wanted to add that they were socially prominent. <laughs> it's just because it's only meant, but you know, I'm not I'm not from the South. So when I moved here, I realized like, oh, social class, such a big deal. You know, it really is. Where are your people from? Yeah, like people know the names and how they, you know, how big of a deal it is if you have a certain name. Cheers, Snowden family. <laughs> I'm talking to you. <laughs> okay. So this is an Italian villa in style built with bricks made on the site which I thought was incredible. And the four-story tower overlooks the present seven-and-a-half-acre park-like setting. So obviously, I don't think they still have that 200 acres. <laughs> so the Anistel Mansion, with its grand parlor, spiral staircase, and marble entryway, is nestled among seven-and-a-half acres of elegant lawns and gardens. So this isn't just in the middle of the woods like I was thinking it was. It's actually really gorgeous. It's 1850 Annabellum Mansion, and I had to look up what Annabellum was. It means occurring or existing before a particular war. For this, it was the American Civil War. All right, so this uh, mansion promises to be a charming... Sorry, I get my SH and CH mixed up. Charming setting <laughs> for an indoor-outdoor... Tell me if I pronounce this right. Fete? Oh, a fet. Fet, thank you. A fete. Is that a French that's thing? A, that's a socially prominent word for party. Oh, my goodness. Are you serious? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> it's French. <laughs> I have to look up all of these fancy words. Uh, yes, parties. Thank you. Such as receptions, <laughs> private parties, or corporate events. So that's what it's used for. It is proven to be an especially breathtaking setting for weddings in Memphis. Wow. So you could just pretend... You need a place to get married at and go see this place. Yeah. Or just schedule a tour. Yeah, just schedule a tour. Oh, oh, oh. do it. You don't even have to lie. (laughs) Nice. (laughs) I'll have to make sure I have a date set so that, because I know they're going to ask, oh, when when is the wedding date? Yeah. And then I'll. Make sure it's set enough in advance to where it makes sense that you're looking there, because I'm sure they're booked up pretty much all the time. Yes. And as I mentioned, it's. Maybe I didn't mention, but obviously it's in the Anastel Snowden Historic District, less than a mile from Interstate 240. So what once used to be Pigeon Roost Road is now just right next to the interstate. How mm-hmm. times have changed. Wow. So I wanted to read a description so we can all have a visual. I got Please. this from, thank you, from a Memphis Magazine article. They say, we were told, because I think they got they they got a tour, so this is from their they tour. They didn't go either. Oh. Yeah, they didn't get married. They just did a tour (laughs) for a magazine article, (laughs) which I guess I could do. Get it for a blog post. (laughs) We could go the extra mile every once in a while. (laughs) 
Yes. <laughs> Instead of pretending I'm getting if married. If only people knew how busy we are and we try to still try to do this podcast. <laughs> They'd be like, what are you thinking? Yeah. They would forgive us for not going on tours. I hope so. The article says, we were told that the 70,000 plus square foot home has 13 rooms, five bedrooms, and four and a half baths. Just barely less than Ashler Hart. Oh, it beats the castle. Well, except for the bathrooms. <laughs> it only has four and a half. Five bathrooms? Not five. It has four and a half. Yeah, but you know that half bath is so useful. It is. People discount it because it's just a half. But I'm going to tell you, after having a two and a half bath home, I don't know how you just do with two bathrooms. Because that half bath. <laughs> so I'm saying a four and a half might be better than a five. All right. All right. Sounds like I am topping your your mansion here then. <laughs> I'm trying to help you because you just only researched one instead of two like you're Thanks. supposed to. I'm trying to throw you some bones I here. know. You're building Encourage up my confidence and motivate you. so the story can continue <laughs> and I don't throw in the towel. <laughs> the downstairs public spaces have 14-foot ceilings, and the period details include 11 fireplaces. It's a lot. Whoa. Pocket doors. I don't know what pocket doors are. Should have looked that up. Oh, they're the best. Okay. Instead of like a door that like swings into the room or out of the room when you open it, it goes into the wall. Oh. It's a sliding door. Yeah. That was mentioned in one of our episodes. But like fancy. Because it, it, it disappears into the wall when it's open. and then Yeah. I don't think I've ever seen a fancy one of those before. I think of those. No, me neither, really. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> They've always been just like. Real normal ones. Yeah. <laughs> that are kind of hard to do. Yes. They're not the they, most They like, don't want to stay on their track. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. I'm not a fan of those. But maybe these are done elegantly and most professionally. So I, yeah. I do need to see that then. Was not expecting that. Okay. Uh, carved walnut paneling. Intricate needlework panels over the windows. Stained glass. Painted ceilings with exquisite figural details, ornate plastic, ornate plasterwork, and lustrous oak floors. Wow. Yeah. Ken Robinson is the one who purchased the home and estate in 2010 and renovated and reopened the mansion as an event space, the one that we can see today. He says the Snowdens have been extremely gracious in helping him buy back antique pieces from family members which is pretty cool that is cool yeah so original pieces of um of the home are coming back or at least you can find them there because he reached out to them i like that Uh uh-huh and one in particular that he's especially proud of is the portrait of annie overton brinkley uh, which hangs in the music room okay this you'll like this this is how i'm ending it (laughs) in 2016 this is the most recent news that i found so I know you're going to ask me for newer evidence, and I'm sorry, I, I don't have it for you. But in 2016, a bone fragment, possibly human, was found in the grate of a boarded-up fireplace. A photographer came across it during a photo shoot. <laughs> I'm sorry. Yes. What kind of photo shoot <laughs> are you doing when you're all up in a fireplace and a hidden bone <laughs> flies out? I need to see these pictures. What were they doing? Well, one, I don't think it flew out because <laughs> that would be a, <laughs> a poltergeist. <laughs> Two, I it's very possible that it could have just been they were renovating and re, you know in the in the fireplace and it, it and everyone unfailed. just missed it. Yeah, but here's the thing: it's so old 
So maybe this photographer is just also like an anthropologist and or has a background in anthropology and he could figure out, oh, that's actually a bone. That's not um, a china spoon or whatever. I I don't know why I said that, but you know what I mean? Mm -hmm. (laughs) But it really was bone. So they don't know if it's human or animal, possibly. But But aren't there tests for that? Yes, it did go under investigation. And there's obviously no update, as you said. Yes, they don't really know. Oh, why even bring this up? I have a <laughs> million questions that you cannot answer. They, a million? Come on. We're going to have to get the police department on the phone right now. Live police department calling. I need to know. Maybe. Maybe I just didn't find it. I, I'll admit, I'm not the best Googler researcher or researcher in general. But I looked. I was like, surely they came up. But maybe it was just so unexciting that they're like, we can't do an update story on this. It was probably a raccoon. And they're like, that's lame <laughs> yeah. now. Yeah. Well, the thing is, is that it's very, very old and likely from the Civil War era, which would make sense. An antebellum bone. Yeah. Well, yes. Which would make sense <laughs> because the mansion, I'll end it with this, the mansion did serve as a hospital during that time. Okay. All right. <laughs> so they just had all these bones that they put in the fireplace. I get it. No, no, no. I bet. So this is my conclusion from the story. If it is a human bone, I bet a nurse practitioner was working on a patient and a bone fell out and they just didn't realize they just lost it, you know, and it just happened to get brushed under the fireplace. I'm sure that's what happened. I am sure that's exactly not what happened. <laughs> oh, yeah, that's right. It's right. I think someone <laughs> I think there might be an entire skeleton in that fireplace and there should be an excavation. <laughs> It's too beautiful and luxurious to have to break in that fireplace. (laughs) All right. That was a cool mansion. Oh, good. That was good. Thanks. Top that. I'm going to talk about the mansion that is at 680 Adams, which is the Woodruff Fontaine House. Oh, lovely. Another heavy hitter in the world of Memphis mansions. In 1845, Amos Woodruff and his brother arrived in Memphis from Rahway, New Jersey, uh, with the intent of expanding their business, making carriages. Amos's brother went back to New Jersey, gave up on the whole thing or whatever. Uh, Amos, though, found great success in Memphis with his carriage business. Also, businesses like the Overton Hotel, two banks, a cotton compress firm, a lumber company. He also ran the Memphis and Ohio Railroad and Like many other rich people in Memphis history, he also had an insurance company, and it was called the Southern Life Insurance Company. This is a lot. Yeah. It's good Amos did not return to New Jersey, I guess, because he (laughs) had a lot of businesses. Whoa. In 1870, he spent $12,000 on the land in Millionaire's Row, which was then the outskirts of Memphis. And on that land, he started building his five-story French Victorian mansion, which cost $40,000 to build. Wow. And this area is now known as Victorian Village mm-hmm. because it has a lot of Victorian mansions in it. Or not a lot. I guess it has a handful. Yeah. They're beautiful. Yeah. It's very random. You're just like driving yeah. down a normal street. And it. then it's like Victorian mansions around you. Yeah. It is an interesting experience. I highly recommend everyone go have that experience yeah. when you're in Memphis. It's really cool. He also built a carriage house on the property, uh, created some very nice gardens and fountains. 
And he lived there with his wife, Phoebe, and their four children named Sally, Molly, Frank, and Cora. The architect is interesting. He, his name was Edward Colliat Jones, and he had moved to Memphis in 1866 as an, he was already well known before he moved to Memphis as an architect. And then once in Memphis, he designed Central Baptist Church, First Beale Street Church, First Presbyterian Church, <laughs> Goodness. Uh, Second Presbyterian Church, and the first skyscraper in Memphis, which is now the T.D. Porter Building. Whoa. What? Yeah. Who is this guy? And also Amos Woodruff's house. <laughs> <laughs> All right. That's a great intro. So this uh, this mansion features a man. I, do you say it Mansard or Mansard? Mansard. I'm Mansard, not the one please. to ask. M-A-N-S. All right. I'm just going to say it with confidence. <laughs> Again, uh, the home features a mansard roof and elevated basement. I don't, I don't really know what that is. Elevated um, basement, maybe. Yeah, <laughs> maybe so that they could put a window in it. Oh, maybe. Uh, I don't know. Weird. Okay. Uh, it's kind of interesting that it has a basement at all. A tower that's over three stories tall. Mm-hmm. The windows were topped with terracotta lintels with recessed folding shutters on the inside. And so this house was Victorian in style, but the layout inside was really like kind of like standard Southern rather than Victorian. So there was a large center hall on each floor, and that opened up to rooms on either side. And there were 18 of these rooms, three great halls, uh, the tower outlooks on the two top floors. Uh, On the first floor, the ceilings were 16 foot tall. They shrank to 14 foot tall on the second floor and down to 13 feet on the third floor. Uh, I also saw there's like a lot of really ornate details. People really like it's got solid cypress millwork and there are really intricate carvings on the moldings at the top of the stairwell on the third story in particular. And there are arabesques on several ceilings. I'm not really sure what those are. Arabesque. But architecture people will. Okay. This is for you, architects. (laughs) I only know what they are in terms of dancing. (laughs) Uh, a lot of people think that the Woodruff Fontaine house is haunted by Molly Woodruff's ghost as she returned there to her girlhood home at her death, or I guess after her death. <laughs> Some of the hauntings include staff seeing Molly in the form of smoke, her sitting on the bed in her former room, and her demonstrations of anger, like slamming doors and breaking items when anything gets moved around or redecorated. Whoa. Supposedly, her bed is sometimes dented in as if someone's been lying there. And, uh, yeah, it's actually roped off from visitors, so it should not ever be dented, but apparently it is. Yeah. And in our ghost story episode, we heard a haunting from this home, I believe. Uh, I saw one paranormal website that one time Molly told the museum, like, workers, staff, how they should have the furniture arranged. Mm. So that's Molly, and she haunts the house. So I'm going to tell you her story. Cool. Because this is her girlhood home. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So in 1871, Molly married Egbert Wooldridge at the brand new mansion that they moved into the second story of. Uh, So this Mm -hmm. home. Four years later, she gave birth to a son in the Rose Room. Mm -hmm. And he tragically passed away a day later, possibly from the yellow fever. Oh, man. Yeah. Okay. Three months later, her husband died in the same room as well. Oh, yikes. Yeah. In 1883, she married James Henning and moved to Poplar Avenue. Okay. Their only child would also die at birth, and I think she lived there at that home on Poplar until her death. 
1892, Woodruff sold his home to Nolan Fontaine, who is a Kentucky native and another successful businessman, but he was in the cotton industry. So this is how it became the Woodruff Fontaine house. Uh, His wife was from Raleigh, and they got married in 1864 and had 10 kids. Yeah. They were very well known for having very fancy parties, or as we could call them, fets. fets. And one time, President Grover Cleveland and some governors came to them, and they also did a political fundraiser for a vice presidential candidate, Adlai Stevenson, one time. I don't know Liz Stevenson. Very socially prominent. Okay. So their oldest child was also named Molly. Oh, okay. And it's spelled the same as Molly Fontaine. So we have Molly Fontaine and Molly Woodruff. And when I was researching them, a lot of places combined them into the same person. Yeah. But there's two of them. Just because they mixed them up? Yeah. I mean, they had the same name and they lived in the same house. Oh, wow. Okay. Yeah. So she got married to Dr. William W. Taylor on Valentine's Day at St. Mary's in 1886. And their wedding was followed by an extremely, uh, like, fancy reception at the Fontaine home in the ballroom. Her father gave the couple their own home across the street, but it took four years to build that, so they lived on the second floor of the Fontaine home when they were first married for that four years. Mm-hmm. Then they moved across the street, and Molly lived there until she died in 1936. That house is... Now, Molly Fontaine Lounge, Mm -hmm. or Molly Fontaine's. Molly Fontaine's, yeah. Yeah. So now we're going, we're back to the Woodruff Fontaine house after that little detour with Molly. Okay. So the family lived, the uh, Fontaine family lived in that house until 1929, and at that time the house was sold for $25,000. That's crazy. As a steal. I know. It was supposed to become an antique store, but that didn't happen. I don't know why. Yeah. Then Rosa Lee operated her free art school there, and that moved to Overton Park in 1959. And it, then it, it's actually sort of what became the Memphis College of Art. So I didn't want to go into that too much because maybe we might end up doing some kind of show on that. Yeah. Oh, we should. But isn't that interesting? Yeah. It's a little good teaser tidbit. Yeah. In the 1960s, the house almost got demolished. Oh, I'm glad it didn't. I know. And then the Memphis chapter of the Association for the Preservation of Tennessee Antiquities began to raise funds, and they were able to renovate the property. They got it all fixed up for, like, modern amenities or whatever. Uh, They restored the antique features, uh, so it's got modern amenities, but they put it back to its antique glory. And they even uh, sort of uncovered a fresco in one of the ballroom ceilings. Which is kind of cool. A fresco? Yeah. So like a really awesome painting. Oh, cool. pretty cool. So in 1964, it opened back up again. Uh, it was a little bit unfinished, and so people kind of kept donating to it. And so then they were able to put in furniture and all the stuff that's inside it now. Hmm. And now it's a proper museum where you can experience 1800s life in Memphis. So there we have it. Woodruff Fontaine House. Woodruff Fontaine, then... That's the one that you can currently get tours from or do tours out oh, of. Oh, yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I like yeah, hearing. Yeah, and there are events in there. And they have the carriage house. It's open. That's still on the grounds. Yeah. So it's really, I do recommend that tour. I've been a couple of times. 
And I was going to say, when you were talking about the tower, so whenever they would return from traveling, they could go out in the tower and see them come in. That's at least what I was what was told, because it was in, in sight of the Memphis River. So they could see when Interesting. when people would return from their travels or whatever. So you're just like watching. Okay. Yeah, I guess if you know, expect a date, you could go out and just see. <laughs> I wonder if they're... Yeah, like a window of time. You can look out the window and wait for them. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, uh, I doubt yeah. people were that like anticipating arrivals of their family members <laughs> that much that they stayed <laughs> up there. But I well, mean, it's nice to think of. Yeah, it's not like they had TVs. You can't see the river now from there. No, that's why it's buildings. an interesting point. Is because if you go up there now, it's completely filled with I can't with all kinds of trees. I can't even and stuff. imagine that. I can't imagine being able to see the river from that spot. Yeah, that's so interesting. Is that's why it was so memorable to me? It's because I was I just thought like the land looked so different back then. Like you, that yeah. from there you could see the river. If that story is in fact true, not, but. You know, that that was mentioned there. Yeah, why wouldn't it be? A museum said it. Yeah, yeah. I trust them. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's a it's a great one. And Molly Fontaine House. It's awesome. Which you can also find in the Molly Fontaine House uh, a personal letter she wrote. They have that hanging by on the staircase, which is cool. So where what are some connections? You mentioned ghost, if you want to go listen to our ghost story. That is a... Uh... MemphisHypHistory.com slash Halloween17, right? Yeah. <laughs> and we'll also put it in show notes. Yes, which is MemphisTypeHistory.com slash mansions. Yeah. That's mansions, plural. Because mm-hmm. we did three of them. <laughs> <laughs> yes. You might have to fire your intern. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> we don't have an intern. That's a joke. No intern. But if you would like to be an intern... <laughs> An oh. unpaid intern. <laughs> Let's put that plug in. Oh, my goodness. If you would like to be an unpaid intern and do research <laughs> for us that so that we can just read what you write for us on, yeah. into our microphones, we would love <laughs> to not pay you for that job. Yeah. Or if you would like to be in the podcast as a... Uh, Let's see what you found, and then you tell us. That would oh, be yeah. awesome, too. We're down with that. If you feel like that's payment enough, we'll put you on this show. <laughs> That'd be great. This is a fantastic idea. Yeah. We won't send you to Shanghai, though. That's not part of the deal. You, no. You're stuck with me. You have to get here on your own and fend for yourself once you're here. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> that sounds very undesirable. <laughs> but if you are interested, that would be awesome for us. <laughs> yeah. Let us know. <laughs> All right. So, yeah, visit show notes and uh, visit our Patreon page. Please. And don't just visit. Please click to support us. Sometimes it's funny because a lot of people tell us they really like the show and, like, sometimes they've written a review, which is awesome. But I yes. think if, like, everybody who says they really like the show – even did just like a dollar a month. That would take yeah. a lot of our worries away with this show. Yeah. We really like our editor and we want to be able to pay her. So We pay we her, have, but we yeah. would like to pay her more. <laughs> Please don't. We pay her. We don't pay ourselves. <laughs> yeah, but we, we pay not. her. <laughs> and we would yes. like to pay her more. We'd like to pay ourselves as well. We'd like to maybe yes. have a researcher. Possibly paid interns. <laughs> yeah. Mostly, I mean, honestly, yeah, like I say jokingly, we like to pay ourselves, which is true. But also, like, just, like, 
a podcast is free to listen to, but it's not actually free to produce. Even if we did our sound editing ourselves, which we're not, we don't know how, but even if we Mm -hmm. did, it's still not free. Even if we just like gave all our time. Yeah. So when you factor in time, it's not just the time. Yeah. It's paying for all the hosting stuff and all the the equipment and everything. Yeah. That's it's not free. Yeah, so a dollar a month. Yeah, for anyone who uh, enjoys the show, uh, we would really appreciate it. We give you stuff. Yeah, it's not even like just a dollar for nothing. Like we we give you stuff. There's lots of stuff. Mm-hmm. So yeah, we would love it. A review a dollar. We'll, we would happily just know that that really warms our hearts. Yeah, and will keep us going. We'll keep yeah. researching if the funds come in. Yeah. So you can learn about this crazy city. Cool, cool. You've been listening to Memphis Type History, the podcast. We like your type. You've been listening to Memphis Type History, the podcast. It would mean so much to us if you head over to iTunes and give us a rating and review. Be sure to subscribe and never miss an episode. Want to be part of Memphis Type History and get behind the scenes content, merch, and more? Support us on Patreon at patreon.com slash Memphis Type History. That's Patreon spelled P-A-T-R-E-O-N dot com slash Memphis Type History. Find more Memphis Type History on our blog at memphistypehistory.com, on Facebook, Instagram, and Pinterest as Memphis Type History, and on Twitter at Memphis Type.